Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Royce, and I'm one of the elders here at Hill City. And behind me, you will see a picture of my family. This is my wife and I and our four kids. My daughter is, is over here. Uh, she is the oldest. She is kind and thoughtful and adventurous. And then I have these three boys. Um, they are all different. They are all super fun, and they are all crazy. Um, and in the middle of it all, that's my wife, Melanie. My wife and I, we've been married for 17 years. It'll be 18 years in June. And she knows me better than anybody knows me. Uh, sometimes I feel bad for her because she knows things about me that nobody should have to know. You know, like, like these little gross things, like the way I pick my nose and the way uh, stuff gets stuck in my teeth all the time. Like she knows that stuff. Um, and even deeper things like my fears, my insecurities, she knows it all. Um, and it is to the point now that sometimes I think she knows me even better than I know myself. Uh, and this became clear to me a few days ago. Uh, I come home from work, and it was a long day. So what I think I need is just a little sit down. You know, have you ever been there? It's like, I just need to sit, relax. It's been a long day. I need to unwind a little bit. And uh, she knew better. So uh, she comes over, and she's like, I have been with these boys you know, all day long I've been with these boys, and I think what they really need is some time with their dad. I think they could use some time with their dad. And so this is her sweet, gentle way of telling me, you know, get off your butt and go play with those boys. They're driving me crazy. Uh, but she was right, so I get up, I go outside, I play some basketball with my boys, and it's actually really great. You know, it's really good for them to have some time with their dad, and really good for me to have some time with my boys. And so sometimes this happens. Like, she will tell me things that in the moment are a little hard to hear, but I know that they're good for me. And she can do that because we've developed this relationship over time to where I know I can trust her. You know, and that takes time. It takes time to build that kind of trust. And that's what we're going to see today in Genesis. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of Sarah. For the last few weeks, we've been following Abram, and now we're going to focus in on Sarah, and we're going to join her on this journey where she is going to learn to trust. It's going to take her a while. It's going to take some time, but she's going to learn to trust 
in God. And so to get started, we're going to go all the way back to the first mention of Sarah, which is in chapter 11. And so her name at this point is different. It's Sarai, and I might get these names mixed up along the way. So I'm sorry in advance, but I'm going to do my best. Here we go. Uh, So chapter 11, verse 30, it says, Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. So the first word on Sarai is barren, no child. And what's interesting about this is the second half of Genesis 11 is actually a genealogy. So this is right at the end of this list of names. It's fathers and sons. You know, a father has a son, and then that son becomes a father when he has a son, and then that son becomes a father when he has a son, all the way until we get to Abram. And this list comes to an abrupt halt when we get to Abram, because Abram marries Sarai, and Sarai is barren. And so in this context, in this culture, the number one job, the number one role for a woman is to have babies, you know, to raise a family. And I'm sure this was Sarai's dream. You know, I'm going to marry Abram, and we're going to have all these kids, we're going to raise a family, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, But that's not what happens. Uh, So in a culture where that's where women have their value and, and where this is one of Sarai's biggest dreams, the reality is that she is barren. And she carries that reality with her every second of every day. And then something incredible happens. And God starts talking to her husband. So at this point, Abram is 75 years old. Sarai is 65 God comes on the scene, and he starts talking to Abram. And here's what he says. He tells Abram, I will make of you a great nation. Probably not what Abram was expecting to hear. I will make of you a great nation. Like, what could that mean exactly? And so God understands, and so he makes this a little bit clearer. A little bit later, we see God paint a picture for Abram. And this is what he says. He he says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. So God tells him, all right, you you didn't understand I will make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you tons of kids, all right? I'm going to give you a dust load of kids. You're going to have a huge family. And again, this is probably a little confusing. This, This probably sparks some conversations for Abram and Sarai. Um, you know, offspring, he said, a dust load of offspring. That's what he said. I'm just telling you what he said. Uh, And it's like, how could this be possible? Again, Abram, 75, Sarai, 65. And then even more time passes, weeks, and then months, and then years go by, and God starts talking again. And he has another picture that he wants to paint for Abram. And this is what he says. He says, look toward heaven, And number the stars, if you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. And this time, God and Abram, they even have a ceremony to commemorate this promise. We talked about it a couple weeks ago where God cuts a covenant with Abram. And so the reason he does this is he's like, this is going to happen. This is now a covenant. This is going to happen. Consider it done. And then nothing. Nothing happens. This is 10 years after the initial promise, and Abram is still childless, Sarai still barren. And that takes us to chapter 16. Chapter 16 starts off saying, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, 
had borne him no children. So in case we forgot, Sarai is still barren. Again, we're 10 years in. Now Abram is 85. Sarai is 75. And they don't have any kids. But at the same time, they do have these pictures, you know, that God has given them. The, the dust and the stars. And, and I think it's God's way of, of saying to them, you know, every time that, that you're outside, every time you look down and, and you see that dust, you feel that dust, I want you to remember my promise. And every night as you look up into the sky and you see those stars, I want you to remember my promise. So for Abram and Sarai, they can't escape this. They can't escape this promise. They are constantly surrounded by what God has promised to do. But at the same time, these are also these constant reminders of what God has not yet done. So every day, every day that goes by, it's like a gut punch for Sarai. It's just another blow to this hope that she's holding out that she's going to have a family. And so I imagine, you know, she must have been confused, maybe frustrated, maybe even angry. And I wonder if you've ever been there. You know, maybe you've been confused by what's going on in your life, maybe frustrated, maybe even angry. And I wonder, you know, what do you do in moments like that? You know, maybe sickness has affected you or a loved one in a way that you never expected. Uh, or, or maybe things aren't working out at, a, at school or at a job and you're not really sure what's next. Or, or, or maybe it's even hitting at home. Maybe there's trouble at home and, and marriage or raising kids is harder than you ever imagined it would be. Or maybe you are in this situation, in Sarai's situation, maybe you're facing infertility and you're not sure what the next step should be. So for me, you know, in times like this, in times when I am confused about what's going on in my life, I find myself conflicted. Uh, I'm torn between these two things that I know are true. And the first thing is like this truth that this is hard. You know, when things are confusing, when I don't understand why things are the way they are, it's really hard. But then there's also this other thing that I know is true, and that is that God's got me. No matter how hard things are, it's not a surprise to him. He knew this was coming, and he's working in the midst of it. And what I've realized is it's actually really difficult for me to hold both of these truths at the same time. You know, if I start to think about, you know, man, this is really hard. When I, when I start to think about how hard things are, I start to forget that God's got me. And I really just imagine all the ways that things can go wrong. But then, you know, if I can remember this, if I can remember that God's got me, somehow things don't seem quite as hard. And I'm kind of free to imagine all the ways that God could be working. And so because of this, you know, these times of uncertainty can kind of feel like this tug of war. And I've noticed that my mood, my outlook on life, it can actually change day to day and even moment to moment, depending on which one of these truths is winning this war, this war inside my mind. Which truth is going to fill up my heart and my mind? 
And John Mark McMillan, he wrote a song about this, uh, about this kind of struggle, and, it, and it's called Monsters Talk. And on the album, he talks about what inspired him to write this song, and, and he talks about having sleepless nights. There are these nights he can't fall asleep because he's wrestling with these two different realities. And this is what he says. He, he says, the first reality is that life is hard, brutal, and sometimes outright terrible. But the other reality is that life is beautiful, full of wonder and hope. And he says, both of these realities are true. The question I had to ask myself was, which reality was I going to make friends with? Not denying either one, but which reality was I going to talk to and listen to? So what he's saying is he's wrestling with these realities. He can't sleep because he's wrestling with which one of these will get his time and attention. And you can hear it in the song. When you listen to this song, it's a struggle. And he describes these monsters over here that want to talk to him, and they just want to tell him about how bad things are, about how hard things are, and just bury him there. But at the same time, there's this other voice, like this deeper, richer voice that's pulling him over here. And there's this repeated line at the end of the song where he's just crying out to God. And this is what he says. He says, can I stand beside the way you love tonight? It's like he's saying, when I, when I look around at my life, can I plant my feet over here? Can I just stand here? Because I know, you know, things aren't the way I planned. This wasn't the way I had dreamed it up. This is... This is confusing. I don't understand what's going on, but can I kind of let go of my plans and take this stuff of life that's really hard and bring it over here? So he says, can I stand beside the way you love tonight? And that's the bottom line question in these moments, and I think it's the, the question facing Sarai. And, and I imagine her thinking this every night. You know, she looks up at the stars, and she knows the promise, but she also knows that time is ticking by. And I'm sure she's thinking, you know, can I stand beside the way you love tonight? Again, it's 10 years into the promise, still no child, and so Sarai starts to doubt. We're going to see, you know, she thinks she might need to figure this out on her own, so she takes matters into her own hands. It says, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So Sarai has this servant named Hagar. And this servant has probably been around for years She's probably been there for a long time, and maybe Sarai has even had this thought before. But, but she's never voiced it because she's trying to live over here. She's trying to hold out hope. But finally, she reaches this breaking point. She says, behold, now. After all these years, she says, behold, now. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. What, she, what she's saying is she's acknowledging that God has been in control of her past. But she's not so sure 
that she wants to trust him with her present or her future. So she says, go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And what a heartbreaking statement. This is one of the saddest verses we'll read because in this statement with Sarai, what Sarai is doing is she's giving up hope. After 75 years, you know, she's been fighting to believe. It's been 10 years that she's been clinging to this promise. She finally gives up. She loses hope. And so she offers Hagar to Abram, and he accepts, and it doesn't go well. There's just more pain and more heartache. It says, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So Abram and Sarai, they carry out this plan. And when Hagar sees that she's pregnant, she looks on Sarai with contempt. And this is a really strong word. It's saying she hates Sarai. She despises Sarai. She looks down on her because this was all Sarai's idea. And this would not be what Hagar would have wanted. And so because of this, because of this hate, because of this contempt, Hagar might want to hold this pregnancy over Sarai. You know, it, it might be that she would want to, to make it clear to Sarai that she could do for Abram what Sarai never could. And Sarai can't take it, and so we'll see things go from bad to worse. Sarai comes to Abram, and, and she says to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So what we see here is sin fractures deeper than we could ever imagine. You know, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Marriage is meant to be this this beautiful thing, one man, one woman, forever. But here, Abram and Sarai sin. They go against the design, and it gets ugly. Hagar despises Sarai. Sarai mistreats Hagar. Sarai blames Abram. It's a mess. And not just for Abram and Sarai, but now it's a mess for Hagar too. Hagar suffers because of this. And we don't have time to go into it, but there's this beautiful section of Genesis 16 where Hagar flees and God pursues her. And it's just this picture of the love of God that when things get messy, God doesn't run away from the mess. He runs right into it. And we see that. He goes to work, he comforts Hagar, and he provides for her. For today, though, we're going to stick with Abram and Sarai, and we're actually going to see the exact same thing happen. Things get messy, and God doesn't run away from the mess. He runs to it, and he goes to work. And so let's see what he does in chapter 17. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, so time keeps ticking by. This is 14 years later now. Abram is 99. God comes to him, and it says, the Lord appeared to Abram, And said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I might make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. 
Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And can you imagine this? It's now 14 years later. He's got to be wondering, man, did we mess it all up? Like, we sinned, we messed it up, we made a mess of everything. But here what we see is God never gives up on them. He says, my covenant is with you. That's because God is so loving. He's so patient. No matter how many times we fall, he never gives up on us. He'll never give up on you. What he says is he comes to us and he says, my covenant is with you. So after he says this, a couple things happen. God changes their names, and then he stands by his promise. So let's look at this. First, he changes their names. In, in Genesis 17, 5, it says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. So let's look at this for just a minute. You know, Abram means father of many, and Abraham means father of a multitude. And Sarai means princess, and Sarah means princess. So it's like, okay, that, it doesn't sound like really much changed. Did we really need to do this name change? Like, what's going on here? Abram becomes Abraham, and Sarai becomes Sarah. Well, there's this Hebrew word, there's this little Hebrew word for the Spirit of God or the breath of God. And that word is ruach. Ruach. And you can kind of hear the meaning of the word in the sound of the word. It almost sounds like breath. And this word shows up at creation. It's the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And later in the Bible, it shows up as the breath of life or the breath of God. So when Abram goes to Abraham and Sarah goes to Sarah, it's like the breath of God is being breathed into them. It's it's taking their given names and they're being infused with the spirit and the breath of God. And this is what happens to us when we are called by God. His spirit brings us to life in this new way. And and one of the things I love about this promise and and the way that God changes their names is this promise is getting more and more personal. Like it's pretty hard, it's difficult to escape dust and stars, but it is impossible to escape your own name. And so I want us to pause for a second and think about this idea of being called by God. And just what a difference this makes. In Isaiah 43, God's talking to the people of Israel, and he says, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. And what was true for them is still true for us today. The God who called Abraham and Sarah by name calls you by name. He says, you are mine. It reminds me of Mary when she's outside the tomb. So, so she's outside the tomb. She's hanging out. She sees this gardener, and she starts talking to this gardener, and she thinks, you know, well, okay, this is just a gardener. And that is until the gardener calls her by name. 
he says, Mary. And then she immediately knows that it's Jesus. So I just want you to take a second and imagine that God is saying your name. Just listen for the voice of God just saying your name. And as he's saying your name, he's breathing life into whatever it is that you're facing. I'm going to say just a short prayer over us. And I, as I pray it, I want you just kind of to make it your own. You can say this prayer with me. So just let's close our eyes and we're going to pray. Father, you know me. You love me. You have called me by name. I am yours. Amen. And so we see God changes their names. He's breathing life into this situation. And then he stands by his promise. And he emphatically includes Sarah in the promise. This is what he says, talking about Sarah. He says, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. So just to be clear, this never really should have been a source of confusion for Abram, but now God is making it abundantly clear. He wants to leave no doubt that this promise is going to come through Sarah. And at first, Abraham just laughs at this. He's like, that's hilarious. Um, and then he reminds God that he already has a son, and his name is Ishmael. He had this son through Hagar named Ishmael. He's 13 years old right now. It would be a whole lot easier for this promise just to come through him. And then he's like, look at Sarah. You know, let's be honest. Like, she old, man. She, she is pushing 90. Like, I think it would be a lot easier just to stick with Ishmael. And I love God's response to Abraham. In verse, in verse 19, God says, no. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. He says, no, Sarah is my girl, all right? I know she's pushing 90, but she's my girl. And, and, and I know she doesn't even believe it yet, but she's going to get there, and it is going to be awesome. And so in chapter 18, we, we see God pursue Sarah. It's a really weird scene. I'm going to try to set it up here. This is one of the strangest scenes in all the Bible. So what's happening is uh, God is going to visit Abraham and Sarah, and he, does, and he does it in the form of these three men. And these men are there on a mission. Uh, they are looking for Sarah. So the first thing they ask Abraham in verse 9 is, where is Sarah your wife. And Abraham, or yeah, Abraham says she is in the tent. So in this moment, Sarah is remaining at a distance. And we're going to see how God pursues her. And what happens is, is these men are going to speak to Abraham outside the tent, but really they're going to be speaking to Sarah because they know that she is listening to the conversation. So this is how it goes. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And this is a really big moment in Sarah's story, because this is the first time she's hearing this promise for herself. 
This is the first time she's hearing this firsthand. So how is she going to respond? It says, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She hears this and she thinks it's too good to be true. But God knew this would be her response, and so he keeps after her. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And I'm sure that this was a little bit of a shock for Sarah, like she's in the tent. Nobody heard that. Nobody heard me laugh. No, nobody heard what I said. So she pretends it didn't even happen. It says, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. So Sarah feels a little bit exposed, and so she just kind of makes this reflex lie, like, no, I, I didn't. I didn't laugh. And then God answers her denial by speaking directly to her for the first time. It says, he said, no, but you did laugh. And I, I'm just trying to imagine this because it's kind of this crazy scene. These three guys uh, are talking to Abraham, but it's really God talking to Abraham. And God is using this conversation not really to talk to Abraham, but really to communicate to Sarah and then he cuts through all that, and mysteriously, all of a sudden, he's talking directly to Sarah. And he says these five words. He says, no, but you did laugh. And, and I've been thinking about this, like, what is God trying to communicate here? And I think this is what he's saying. God is telling Sarah, I know your heart. I know you inside and out. I know you better than you even know yourself. And here's the deal, like, I have more for you. What you need is me. And I am right here, right now with you. In your embarrassment, in your fear, in your doubt, I am here. And I am not going anywhere. And then something finally clicks for Sarah. Something clicks in her heart and she believes. And so the next time we hear from Sarah is in chapter 21. It's right after Isaac is born. This thing really happens. The promise is fulfilled after 25 years. And this is what Sarah says. She says, God has made laughter for me. She has this joy, this deep joy for the first time in her life because God has made laughter for her. And I think about Sarah's story, and it's just, it's, it's a beautiful story. Because for years, she's heard these promises from Abraham. But then everything around her tells her, you know, that's never going to happen. And then she's hiding, and even while she's hiding, she gets to overhear a promise. But she laughs it off. She's like, no. That's too good to be true. But then God pursues her even further. He speaks to her deep in her heart, in her hiding. And she experiences his love, his kindness, and his goodness. And she believes. And she laughs. So the first word on Sarah all the way back at the beginning was barren. But it's not the last word. The last word on Sarah is laughter. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born many descendants, as many as the stars of the heavens and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So it happened. There we see it, the dust and the stars. It happened. She has this huge family. And how did it happen? How did she get there? Well, God worked these two miracles. Two miracles made it happen. There was this deeply personal, physical miracle inside of Sarah, giving her the power to conceive. It says, Sarah herself received power to conceive. But even before that, there was this other deeply personal, spiritual miracle that happened inside of Sarah's heart where she believes. It says she considered him faithful who had promised. God worked a miracle in her spirit to give her the power to believe. He gave her the power to trust in him. And it reminds me of Romans 15, 13, where it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This verse basically summarizes Sarah's story. The God of hope filled Sarah with all joy and peace as she learned to trust in him. To the point that by the end of the story, she's overflowing with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, Sarah went on a journey. She went on this journey, and along the way, she learned to love and trust in God. If you're serving communion, please go ahead and get ready to serve And so as we close, just a a couple questions. You know, where do you find yourself today? Like, where are you in your own journey? What's going on in your journey right now? And wherever you are, I think Sarah would have a few things to tell us. Maybe some words of encouragement on our journey. And I think the first thing she would want to say is that God's promises are unstoppable. He came to Abram and he said, I will make of you a great nation. And he painted these pictures. It's going to be a dust load of of offspring. You're going to have tons of people in your family. And he gave him the picture of the stars and then it really happened. I mean, we can look around and this room is filled with the spiritual descendants of Abraham and Sarah. And she would say, God's promises are are unstoppable. I think she would say her only regret is that she didn't believe sooner. She would probably say, man, I wish I would have believed him sooner. I wish I would have trusted him sooner. Psalm 25.3 says, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Another thing I think Sarah would want to tell us is that God's patience is unbelievable. God never gave up on Sarah in her unbelief, in her sin, in the mess that she made of things, in the ugliness of her sin, in her mistreatment of Hagar. God never gave up on her. And just like God never gave up on Sarah, he he will never give up on you. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And then one more thing I think she'd tell us is that God's presence is better than anything. She learned that there is nothing better than being with God. It's the best. It's like David says in Psalm 16, he's like, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And Sarah, she experienced it. This joy and laughter of being with God is better than anything. And so I think she'd want us to just think about these things. I think she'd want us to consider these truths about God. His promises are unstoppable. His patience is unbelievable. And his presence is better than anything. And as these truths about God fill our minds, we start to move over here. And and we think of things, we look at things a little bit differently. We start to look at things with wonder, like, man, what is God doing? His promises are unstoppable. His patience is unbelievable. His presence is better than anything. What's he up to? Because I know, I know that he's working. And so we can say with Paul, like Paul says in in 2 Corinthians, we, we can say the same thing so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and you are so faithful to us. God, we thank you that your promises are unstoppable and your patience is unbelievable and your presence is better than anything. And we just pray that you would fill our hearts with all joy and peace. Teach us to learn to trust in you so that we can overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.